and welcome back to the Indie, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm Molly McEnany, the host of the Indie, and this week I'm here with wellness instructors of Santa Barbara. First off is Daniel Nash, assistant instructor at Master Yoon's Traditional Tai Chi and Kung Fu, a traditional Chinese martial arts studio in Santa Barbara. Thanks for coming on the show, Daniel. Thank you for having me. So first thing I have to ask is, who is Master Yun and what is his background in Tai Chi and Kung Fu? So Master Yun was born in Shenyang, China. He started training at six years old. He spent his entire life just studying Kung Fu and, and Tai Chi. He started training in Tai Chi in 90, I think he was 22. After reaching a high level in China, he began, he started to be invited to travel around the world and teach in different places. So he's taught in Russia. He's taught in South Africa. He's taught in Japan. He lived in Denver for a few years and then in Aspen. He moved to Ventura, I think about seven years ago, and he moved to Santa Barbara last year. He studied with several very famous teachers in China. Wang Qingzai was his teacher that he began studying with when he was six years old. He is a national treasure in China. There, his tomb is a place people travel around the, the country to see. There are pictures of Master Yun when he was young in Hundreds of people lined up behind Wan Ching's eye in front of his studio. This was the old style of Kung Fu training. It was a martial art. And so they would have tournaments where they would all fight each other. And the last big one was in 1947. 800 people came from all over China. There was no weight classes. It was just round robin. People would fight and whoever would win would go to the next level. Wan Ching's eye won the tournament and he won the swordsmanship tournament. And Master Yun also studied with another teacher. He studied Xing Yi, which is an internal art kind of like Tai Chi. That teacher came in the top 10. So these people, from their background, they were training people to fight. Before, you know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, if you learned Kung Fu, it was because you needed to protect something. You were a bodyguard. You needed to actually be able to perform, to fight. That's changed. And what's shifting slightly in, in context, what's happened in China and the rest of the world is Kung Fu became very presentational. It got to be something that looks good on a stage. And so people, the movements got very big. They got very acrobatic. If you look up stuff now, you see people doing flying backflips and stuff. But it didn't used to be like that. It used to be, you know, these are fighting. These are boxing styles. Tai Chi is a boxing style. It's very good for you. One of the things I like about Chinese Kung Fu is it has a very strong emphasis on making you healthy as you study, as opposed to like just train through the pain and keep going. The idea is if you're not healthy, you can't be a good fighter. The downside has been a lot of stuff has gotten very, it's lost some of the internal connection. It's gotten very big. If you, it looks more, it's more like training for gymnastics. You know, can you, can you do this spinning backflip? Yes, but what makes you healthy is moving your whole body together. So anyway, to answer your question, Master Yun studied um, praying menace Kung Fu when he was young. He became a champion at that. He then studied Tai Chi, and then he studied Xing Yi. These were all with very famous teachers. While studying Prang Manus, his teacher would be friends with other teachers of other styles, and they would trade. And so Master Yun would go and learn another style from the other teacher for a while and then come back. And so he studied some other styles, something called Tong Bei, where you use your arms like whips. It's very, very soft. Another art called Chuejo, Chuojo, I'm maybe saying it wrong, which is a kicking art, but all the kicks are about knee height. So it's really fast. You can't see, the, you can't see any of this stuff coming. But to do it, you have to make your legs strong. You have to have your balance. Go to a website, you can see movies of all these things. His form of Tai Chi is Wu style Tai Chi. Should I progress to Wu style now? Or Well, I would love to hear because Wu style Tai Chi, why is it so special? And why is it so special that your studio is practicing it in Santa Barbara? So Yang style Tai Chi is very popular and was promoted by the Chinese government. And I studied it for about 20 years before I met Master Yun. 
the thing I like about Wu style more than Yang style is Yang style tends to have very large, almost acrobatic movements. And that's good. And it's a nice stretch, but it tends to take people away from making an internal connection. Many people can do, many people have not suffered from that. I don't want to belittle someone's practice. Yang style is wonderful. I just found for myself, I was using my arms too much. I was not connecting with my core as much as I should. In Wu style Tai Chi, and I'll give you a little bit of history of Wu style Tai Chi in a minute, movements tend to be much smaller and they're really focused on your core. So everything comes from your center. Tai Chi is a philosophy. It's the philosophy of opposites, yin and yang, you know, hard and soft, weak and strong. That's a philosophical concept. Tai Chi Chuan is a martial art. It's a boxing style inspired by this concept. Chuan means fighting or fist. Everybody you see doing what they call Tai Chi is doing Tai Chi Chuan. It's, they're doing variations of this boxing style that you practice very slowly. The reason it's called Tai Chi is it should embody this idea of oscillating between hard and soft, full and empty. We, you know, when someone goes to punch you, you don't block with force. You, become, you yield, you absorb their punch so their power is spent, and then you respond with force. So you're always going back and forth between soft and hard. I mean, all Tai Chi is supposed to be like that, but Wu style, I think, really emphasizes that. When you practice Wu style, you're constantly shifting. All of your weight is on one foot, and then you shift to the other side. So you're always going between full and empty. So your, your body is always feeling part soft and part firm, and then shifting back and forth. I found doing that more than when I was doing Yang style. I found for me, that really led me to understand how Tai Chi connects internally. And I'm still working on it. It's really a lot of fun. It's just, it's a fair amount of practice. Even though there's just one form, you can spend a lot of time analyzing each piece and understanding how to take these ideas and work, th work through that movement with this concept of shifting back and forth. And Master Yun does it beautifully. The other thing Master Yun can do with Tai Chi is he'll spar with it. He'll use it in fighting. And he likes, to, he likes to spar in like a friendly way. People are curious whether this stuff works. Try to hit him. And he loves to do that. Um, you, I've never seen anyone succeed. But he, he does what you're supposed to do in theory with Tai Chi. If you go to punch him, he's not, he's not quite there. There's a Tai Chi exercise called pushing hands, which is kind of like, like a gentle sumo. You basically sort of stand and try to find the other person's center of mass and center of balance and just give them a little shove. It's not very... It's not very aggressive, but you try to find the other person. It's a little bit like, like standing wrestling. And he was a champion at that. And I met him because there's a club here in Santa Barbara that would meet every Sunday and do that. Just all these guys would come together and play around with it. It's very friendly. And he showed up one day thinking that we were a school waiting for him to give a class, which was not the case. Someone had invited him to come and didn't explain to him the, well what was going on. So he showed up and threw us all around like we were toddlers. And I outweigh him by maybe 40 pounds. My friend Tom, who runs a school, must have outweighed him by 100 pounds. And he would, Tom couldn't move him, and he could toss Tom around like nothing. And so Tom and I were like, we want to be your students. And this is when he was living in Ventura. This is now sort of the segue what got him to Santa Barbara. So we would start to drive to Ventura every week to practice with him. And then I started going twice a week. And then I, I'm, I'm retired now. And so I have time to do this sort of stuff. And Master Yun kept saying, well, you know, one day if we have a studio, we'll do this. Or if we have a studio, we'll do that. I said, all right, I'll rent you a studio if you come and teach. I'll do it in Santa Barbara. So I rented the space in Santa Barbara, and we started the school. And that was, I think, three and a half years ago. And so that's, that's been going pretty well. Then COVID hit. And so since COVID hit, we're still chugging along. We just practice in the park. And if you haven't had a vaccine, you have to wear a mask. And we've been, you know, classes are okay. They're not as big as we'd like, but they're getting bigger. We started in the fall teaching at UCSB. Teaching, teaching Tai Chi, which was a lot of fun because our classes 
students are all 20, you know, and it's it's different working with uh, adults versus working with kids who are 20. It's different energy, which is fun. And that was going very good. We were supposed to come back in the winter and they just canceled it. They canceled the whole rec program. And I don't know when students are going to go back to class. We're trying to start, we're, we're, we just signed up to teach in the spring and we're trying to also add a Kung Fu class. Back in the day, pre-COVID, if you joined, if you were a, if you lived in Santa Barbara, you could take these classes. Even if you weren't part of UCSB, it costs, is very inexpensive. It's like $46, you know, for eight classes, which is much less expensive than if you were to sign up to join the school. But it's a good, it's a great, it's a great program. Hopefully we'll get, that will, that will happen again in the spring. Well, that's so great that you kind of brought him out to Santa Barbara and we're like, you know, I really want you to teach this community, this as wellness. Well, my feeling is these arts are, they're beautiful and they're dying. Like I said, most, a lot of, a lot of what people teach now, not to put down people do a great job, but the, the way he teaches the real fundamentals of this are, it's hard to find. You can't go out and find a Wu style teacher. He's one of the only guys in the country who does this. There are other people who do what they, there are other things called Wu style. It's a very common name. It means fighting actually. It's, it's, there's several different things that have the same sound as Wu. One is, so the one we do is someone's, it's a family name, but there, there are several different people who say they teach Wu style, which looks nothing like what Master Yun does. The Wu styles I've seen tend to look more like what Yang style was. They tend to be bigger. I like what Master Yun teaches. And I find, I've found very few people who teach like that in the country. There's a very short movie on our website of his teacher. And his teacher was, was rather old when Master Yun met him. That school, the, the Wu family who started the school were very wealthy. They didn't need students. They just wanted to teach their family. And occasionally, like the, the guy who started Yang style, which was very popular, he sent his son to the Wu family to learn. It was sort of known among the senior guys, this is the, this is the real deal. You want to go there. But they didn't promote. They didn't run around, you know, trying to get students. The Yang family did. They got the government to support their style and they traveled around the world promoting it. As I say, Wu style was very different, but I found very few people just looking on the internet that look like Master Yun's teacher. And Master Yun's teacher's teacher's teacher was one of the real famous Wu style people. His, his name was Hao Wei Zin. And in America, they'll call it Wu Hao style sometimes to separate it from there's a Wu style that came out of Shanghai that, that looks no, nothing to do with it, just different names. But Mastrian says no one in China calls it Wu Hao. That's an American creation to, to try to separate it. But again, the, the people doing that, even I look at their videos, they don't look anything like Mastrian's teacher. His movements are much, much more coming from his core. They're much more contained. And I, I want to be careful. I want to not denigrate anybody else's style. It's wonderful what these people are doing. It's just not what, what Mastrian learned. And it's not what the people that he studied from we're, te- we're teaching. So that's my next question, I guess, is how much variability is there amongst one style? Because if you're seeing even different styles of Wu Tai Chi, there's probably so many different lines of teaching now in Wu yes. style, right? Yes. So like I said, there's not a lot of Wu style. Most, most Tai Chi you see is Yang style. All of Tai Chi is based on 13 movements. You see people say there's 108 movement form, there's, six, there's really 13 movements. You repeat them, you put one for the other, you do them this way, you do them that way, you just you mix them all up together. But there's really only 13. How you do them and how you emphasize them is sort of the difference in the styles. They're all doing the same thing. They're all trying to get to the same place. The thing that struck me with Wu style when I met Master Yun was, A, I couldn't move the man that I outweigh by 40 pounds. And B, he could hit me five times before I could blink and smile and laugh while he's doing it. And he keep going, you keep trying to hit me. And it was like, no, every time I try to hit you, you knock me down. 
But when he'd say, I'm going to use Tai Chi now, when you go to hit him, you can't get to him. When you grab him, you can't feel his center. Does that make sense? Like if you grab someone, you can kind of shake him. You can feel I'm moving their center around. When I grab him, it's not like he's fighting me. It's not like his arm is tight. It's soft, but I can't, I can't get to him. I grab his arm and he just steps right through it. And so I'm holding his arm. Both of my hands are busy and he, I, I can't move him from it. I can't control him. And he's standing, staring right in front of me going, hi, Dan. You know, and I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to shove him to the side. And nothing's happened. The other thing I guess I'll say about Tai Chi is, and this is true for, I think for all of Tai Chi and for most of martial arts, Masculine says at the highest level, it's, it's not Tai Chi Chuan. Chuan is fighting. It's Sen Yi Chuan. And Sen is spirit and E is intention. And so it's not like I do this form and I move this way. It's just your spirit follows what's happening and you just respond. And it's all, it's all past the I'm doing this maneuver correctly in this form. It's just your spirit and your intention responding to what's happening to you. And, you know, like most of our people are doing Tai Chi for health. They're not doing it for fighting. I keep the concept of fighting in class so people understand why the moves are what they are. But most of our students, you know, they're older than me. They want to be healthy. They want to get the energy and the, the, you know, the benefit from it. But when you practice, you need your attention to follow what you're doing. If your hand is moving forward, you need to be looking in, in like you're in not angry, but just you need to like, that's where your attention should go. Sometimes I see people doing Tai Chi where their hands are going one way and they're looking the other way with a sort of blissed out expression on their face, which is wonderful. And I'm glad they're having fun, but it's not their, their attention and their intention isn't following what they're doing. And I think by, by having your, your mind and your intention follow your body, they start moving together. And that's, that's how you get your body and your mind to, to, to line up better. And that's part of the practice. And when you watch people doing, you know, more elaborate Kung Fu forms, you can see sometimes whether, whether they're looking at what they're doing or they're trying to remember a dance routine. And sometimes you see these very elaborate things, but you can watch the guy and go, this guy is trying to think about what moves coming next. And yes, it's a beautiful spinning backflip. But when you watch Mastun do a form, you can see it's almost like you can see the person he's, he's fighting. His focus is where his hands are and where he's going. And it's when, before I met him, I wasn't aware of this. And now every time I look at anybody doing something, I'm looking, where are they thinking? Where's their intention? Well, and intention is important in so many things. So I guess what I'm getting, what is this connection between the internal and the external when everything is rooted at the core and you say like, you're supposed to follow your appendages say, is that supposed to make everything that you do centralized, not only in your mind, but in your body? I mean, staying with Tai Chi, but it's true for most of them. You, you want two things going on. You want, you want your, your body to be sensitive. You want to feel what's happening all around. You don't want to be locked tight, but the movement should start from your center. And like it, your legs and your center are really what drive the motion. And Mastrian always says legs much stronger than arms. So like, like when, when, when he, if he goes to hit somebody, he's not like punching from his shoulder. Power comes all the way up through his body. And, and like I say, even if you're not going to punch anyone, learning how to move energy up through your body, it makes you feel, it makes you feel like, like when you're done, when you're done with an hour of Tai Chi practice, you feel like you really feel alive. You feel like you have a lot of energy. When you're done with an hour of calisthenics, you're really tired. And it's, it's a very different kind of exercise. The Tai Chi, you're trying to make your whole body work as one unit. So your biggest muscles are driving things. You know, your, your shoulder muscles are small compared to your leg muscles. You want to use your whole body as one, not just have your, you know, I'm punching with my arms, so I'm having everything come from my shoulder. Learning how to do that makes your body work as one unit. It makes you, and it feels good. Your body feels better as you do that. The trick is to relax the muscles you're not using because most people's muscles are really tight all the time. So it's one thing to say, make the movement come from your center. It's another thing to relax all the muscles that are stopping that from happening. You know, use the analogy of, if you look at a baby, if you ever see a baby breathe, put your hand on a baby's belly when it breathes. When a baby inhales, its belly goes out. 
Most people, when they inhale, their belly goes in because they inhale because they're expanding their chest because you're sitting in a chair all day. And so your belly's kind of crunched up. So to breathe, you have to open this. But when you're not tensing anything up, when you relax, when you breathe, you push your diaphragm down and your belly goes out. And so you, you've learned a lot of tension things that keep you from moving in the most sort of relaxed way you can. And so we're trying to get back to that when doing Tai Chi. You're trying to relax the muscles you don't need and get your whole body to move as one. Other martial arts are trying to do that too. It's not like Tai Chi is the only thing that does it. Master Yun says they're like, like, you know, everything's going towards the same point. Other martial arts, particularly the Chinese ones, they're called external arts. They're the ones that are more, you do lots of push-ups and stuff. You're still trying to get to the point where you use your whole body. It's not like those guys don't know the boxers too. A good boxer isn't punching with his shoulders. His whole body is behind it when he punches. Watch Muhammad Ali. I mean, the guy looks really relaxed. He's just moving really fast. The thing I like about Tai Chi as well is you don't do any damage while you learn it. It's really, it's very healthy and you don't have to put weird torques on your body. You don't have to hurt your knees. You don't have to, you know, train to exhaustion. You, you, you work on relaxing your body and staying calm and keeping your intention in your mind where you're going. Well, I think it's pretty poignant that you mentioned breathing, just like other practices, say, you know, yoga and even Tai Chi. It's crazy to think how so many people like I've read don't fill up their lungs entirely when they breathe, because like you said, they fill up their chest right. and they don't get to the bottom right. of their lungs. So do you teach breath work in your classes as well? I say this correctly. Yes and no. Um, we do not emphasize it because people start to then do it mechanically and it should follow very naturally. It, you know, it's like, cause I've asked him a few times, like, should we breathe in or out? He says, don't think about it. Just do the movement. Try to like, for example, we have people who study Pilates. They come take the class. And I'm like, no, the thing you want to do, you want to use your core and to use your core, completely relax it. Don't tense your core. It should be totally relaxed. When it's all very relaxed, you breathe into it. The analogy with Tai Chi, which Master Yun uses, and he also talks about this for life, was Tai Chi, they said that your outside should be soft like cotton. Your inside should be hard like a needle. Outside, you can't find where the guy's stiff, but inside, it's like an iron needle. And so there, there is strength in there. It's just not, you don't fight everything. He's always, he's always saying, like, when someone attacks you, you don't fight the point where they're coming in. You don't hit them where they're strong. You go around where they're strong. And it, it's like, in, in, the other day, he said, in life, too, you... You, your outside should be soft. You shouldn't be constantly fighting things. Everything should be soft. But when you need to, you should, be, you should have the strength. And I, I like that philosophy. I, was, I thought that was really cool when he said that. Yeah. So, but for the, for the breathing, and the other thing sometimes people talk about is they talk about moving chi through the body. Yes, except I don't like to do that consciously because when you do it consciously, you start thinking, okay, now my arm should be like, no, just relax. The more relaxed you are, the more this will happen. Your body's kind of, you know, everybody has chi. You're alive. Chi is like life energy. And and maybe it's just a metaphor. I don't want to sit, people debate that all day. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it as a metaphor, but it's still, you can feel as you, as you relax, you can feel things getting warm. I tell people not to try to like force that, just relax. And it's the same with breathing because I've asked him a few times about breathing. He's like, just, just breathe. So, you know, try to try to relax everything and the breathing will come naturally without forcing it. Yeah. It's because it is such an autonomic response to right. breathe that like focusing on your breathing, you're automatically going to tense because you don't yeah. know how to yeah. control it in a way. But going to the other aspect of Master Yun's teaching, you also teach seven star praying mantis Kung Fu. Now yes. I want to know how Kung Fu is different from Tai Chi in the sense of the technique, because I know, of course, Kung Fu is more of a boxing, like you said, a fighting right, compared right, to Tai right. Chi, but it's, it's much more apparent in, in Praying Mantis that you're knocking someone down. Praying Mantis 
from the thing I'm least familiar with in there, I'm still, I, st I study it with him. One of the problems with Masculine is like someone referred to him as a martial arts library. He knows lots of martial arts and he loves to teach. And so I'm like trying to learn. So, and I, I take privates with him every day. And so I'm learning a bunch of different martial arts, but it's a lot of material. I, it's like drinking from a fire hose. But so yeah. the thing that's beautiful about Praying Mantis is it also has some of that hard, soft dynamic. In Chinese, they say gun yo. So gun, gun, gun is hard, yo is soft. Um, and you, see, you, can't be too one, you can't be two of one or the other. And so, like, for example, in Praying Mantis, there's a movement where you step inside the person. You're very soft when you do that. If someone touches you and they're rigid and they're strong, it makes your reflexes jump. Like, whoa, that, this, this person is hard and is coming in. If they're soft, it doesn't trigger your automatic re response. So he's inside before you realized that he's coming in. So he'll come inside and then knock you down and just give a little pulse of power, catch your foot and shove you to the side. And I think this is what makes him sort of special on that is he really understands this difference going back and forth between being hard and soft. And I like praying man the way he does it because it has that. The other thing that he does really well is he has amazing footwork. Like he, he moves around effortlessly. A lot of times you'll see people doing praying mantis, other martial arts, they'll form a posture and then they'll do all this stuff with their arms, but their feet are locked. Then they'll take another step and do another posture and do a bunch of things. He uses his legs to make power. So he's always moving. And so like, like if, if someone is larger than him and like goes to grab, he just moves around everything the guy tries to do. And it looks, he moves beautifully. He moves like a cat. You know, actually, one of the students was saying that the other day, watching him do even doing Tai Chi. There's some moves where you get kind of low and move quick. And the the footwork aspect of it is very hard to find people who can do that. So I have one final just question for you overall for listeners mostly. How does one go about figuring out which Tai Chi practice is right for them? By far, the best thing to do is to go to the school and watch and talk to the teacher. And, you know, this is not just Tai Chi, any martial art, all of it. Go to the school, talk to the teacher, see if this is, and also different teachers teach differently. We teach relatively informally for, you know, a Kung Fu school. That may be exactly what you want. Other people don't like that. So I, I studied uh, Japanese martial art called Aikido for about 20 years, but Aikido is Japanese and it's very, usually very formal. Everybody sits in line. Everybody sit, you know, there's a traditional greetings, traditional way to start class, which is wonderful. We have a little bit of that. You come to class, you bow at Master Yun, and when you come into the school, you bow at his teacher's. But in general, he's a very mellow guy. He's not like the sort of stereotypical Kung Fu master. He's just, he's, he loves to teach and he's really good. And he, he, he has a palpable excitement when he's teaching. You can see he's having a ball. That's great for some people. Other people want more of a military structure. Again, to answer your question, go to the school. You can't tell online. Go to school, watch the school, talk to the teacher, see if this is the thing that works for you. And the other thing I, you know, we talk about this a lot. Learning a martial art, it's more like learning a musical instrument. You learn stuff and then you have to practice it. And it takes a long time of practicing. And particularly Chinese martial arts, they show you something and they kind of expect you to go work on it and come back and then do the next one. Like you were learning piano. Work on this piece, come back and I'll show you another one. It's perfectly fine to just practice when you show up there, but there's much more you can learn if you practice on your own. And when you have a really good martial arts program, like when I met my wife, I was doing Aikido. That Aikido school was like a community. It was a family. Everybody, you know, the, those teachers are gone and that's gone now. But that was a nice group. I really liked the people and everybody helped each other and everybody was there for each other. That's what we want our school to be like. And it's sort of like that. We have a nice group of people in the Tai Chi class. We get together outside of class. Sometimes after class, we all go out and have a drink. And it's, a, it's just a very friendly group of people. I want a community to develop. And I want it to be more than just something. On Tuesday, I take a Tai Chi class. You know, I, I want people to have connections to everybody. And traditionally, like Master Yun, he took care of his teacher when his teacher got old. It wasn't just like a, 
financial transaction. And I like that model. I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm helping to fund the school. I think it's a wonderful thing to have. I want people to be more involved than just, I, show, I go to my class, I show up, I do something else. But that's a big ask. I'm happy if they show up in class and they, 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 you know, they do that. But, but I want there to be a, a palpable feeling that people, that something is there. If they want to be more involved, there's a community that exists there beyond just like, here's your regular class. Totally. I mean, creating that core in yourself starts first, but then also creating that core in the community of martial arts is also really important. Yeah. So, and uh, it's also it's an, we we have a nice group of people as, as as a plug for our school. I feel like if you're going to Tai Chi, you're looking for wellness. So if other people want yeah. to to be a part of that community, then there's some like mindedness in approaching your technique and also life. So that's amazing. But I've really enjoyed talking with you and learning more about this. You know, I'm like gonna go learn it myself now and like try and figure out what I can do and be a part of it. Come on down. Yeah. 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 You'll probably see me in the next couple of weeks. I'm actually really interested in the new year. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Daniel. It was wonderful talking with you. No problem. Thank, thanks for letting me talk. Now I'm here with Rita Madlock, founder of Monkey Tail Intelligent Exercise and instructor for over 20 years to talk about her techniques that connect the mind and body. Thanks, Rita, for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. So Monkey Tail Intelligent Exercise draws on a lot of fitness principles from Pilates to yoga to Ayurvedic holistic health. Tell me a bit about when you started learning these techniques and how you blend them together in your studio. I basically started... um... From my former career is a commercial real estate and interior commercial designer. And so I would help create facilities where we do healthcare, movie theaters, restaurants. But I became fascinated when I saw uh, us doing facilities for rehab and became kind of, you know, interested in what it was they were doing. So I realized from studying the background of other people in the fitness field that this was something that I found interesting based on the anatomy. Now, I didn't come from an academic background as far as anatomy, but I found it very similar to architectural design. Human anatomy, very much, very common, like architecture. So I I became engrossed for a bit. And luckily, my company that had hired me in Wisconsin gave me the opportunity to create the first mind-body program in Wisconsin, in Brookfield, Brookfield, Wisconsin, that is. And um, I kind of switched careers from there. I became more interested in teaching mind-body health. And bit by bit, kind of slid my way out of being a commercial designer, but started working with teaching people how to welcome and understand human anatomy on a basic level. So you emphasize this intelligent exercise, which is kind of a conscious exercise. What is the difference between conscious exercise and, like you said, unconscious exercise, and how does it affect this connectivity? Yeah, we're we're not so concerned about the genre. Even though I have a background in Pilates, yoga, gyrotonics, uh, spinning, any genre is irrelevant to us. We really want to know more about how we teach people the consciousness between mind and body by not just what you do, but how you feel. So for most people, it's kind of scary to get into the details of too much body work. So we start with something concrete. We just start talking about the basic skeletal system. Again, like what I learned in commercial architectural design, we just look at the structure. We don't worry about the fancy lights and things that are going on. We just want to see what is the skeletal system doing and where are demands being put on it. So instead of telling people, let's just do something, we start saying, let's explore and starting from the basement up what's going on. And then we kind of bit by bit make our way back into the mind part. So we start with something concrete like the skeletal system. And then we let this client kind of evolve into, hey, I'm much more than my body. 
So when you end up getting clients, do you begin with assessing what their major injuries are maybe, or what they want to improve on health-wise and kind of tailor it that way? I guess just because for listeners, if they wanted to come in, how do they develop their exercise routine with you? Correct. And, and today too, with us being remote mostly, um, my business is hundred percent via uh, Zoom today. So how do you assess and help someone you can't physically touch? Um, so one of the things is through voice, we can hear, I can hear a lot in the voice that tells us where, the, where things are happening in the current human body. The important part is being able to convey to the other person, their ability to convey back to me what they think is the things that are going on in their body. So for instance, um, not seeing someone physically, we have to then ascertain different ways of helping them understand their body. So for me, it'll be with a Zoom meeting and they can then let me know uh, beforehand, they can send me notes about what's going on in their body. But normally um, it's through our Zoom meetings that we first start to help them understand where their real problems lie by going through what we call an APE assess, assessment, where uh, APE stands for Athletic Performance Evaluation. We basically want to evaluate how well the human body is performing. And again, I'm just focusing mostly on the skeletal system. So that's a good place. They may come in with ideas and concepts, but as they start to align the bones, they start to see where the physiology of injuries might have been in the past, be emotional or mental. That's interesting. So even from just hearing the way people talk or the way people hold themselves, you can kind of assess and pinpoint where in their skeletal system, maybe something has gone awry or the nerve has been impacted or whatever it is. Correct. Yeah. Which I guess would be difficult on Zoom, of course, but take me through a day, say not in Zoom, in your studio, where would you begin? Would you begin with breathing? Would you begin with physical warm-up exercise? Take me through that. Excellent question. I begin by introducing uh, most people to the skeletal system. And I have a physical skeleton with me, a stand, and I'll let them, because most people don't understand and see the human body concretely. So to let them see what they are made like inside. And again, making it very simple in the beginning and it's fun. So I kind of basically introduce span and we break down the human body by letting them see breakfast, lunch, and dinner, for instance, that represents the human spine. And they become intrigued by the idea that the spine is breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So where that leads us to is another aspect of them seeing that, oh, I can understand human kinesiology. And then began the process of saying, now we begin to organize the spine first. So we start with the most important part of the structure. And again, people become very fascinated by breaking their spine down into the three meals of the day. Um, seven in the morning becomes their cervical spine. 12 o'clock becomes their thoracic spine. Five o'clock early dinner becomes their lumbar spine. And so they got started getting this idea like, oh, so this is where this is going to start. So everyone, no matter what their situation is, we start with first learning the basics of what is the purpose of the human body's form. And it starts with the spinal column. Interesting. And then based on that assessment, do you go through and you pick between Pilates and yoga or something else, or do you always try to combine all of them together? And you know what? It's interesting. I let each um, client kind of tells me where to start, where to go with that. Like if I'm training a golfer who's injured, he might come in with just thinking it's about his lumbar spine. But as we start to get his spine alignment, we may find that he can't handle the stress of doing a yoga posture or a bridge or something. So we go back to some basic fundamentals of clinical rehab Pilates. My schooling and background is in clinical rehab Pilates. So I do more of the medical PT version of it. 
Uh, again, not so concerned with the genre. They will never hear me use a technical term for Pilates or yoga or gyrotonics. But underneath, I can start to tell them, let's integrate it on a level that works for them. So I don't use fancy words vernacular so they don't have to feel like they, it pertains to any genre. But I will give them simple tools to use in their home use. And basic simple tools will be a physio ball because that element is going to represent water. So that's the most important tool everyone will have. Now, not everybody is stable enough to be on a unstable surface like the ball, but most people can then use a chair. And then we'll go from that and apply little simple tools like little yoga straps and very basic so that everybody knows that everything they need, they already have. So I don't want them to be overwhelmed. I just want them to embrace the idea of learning what breakfast, lunch, and dinner is, and then learning the demand on the spine tells us where the injuries are. So instead of looking, someone comes in with, like I said, injured arm, the same thing goes. We don't make them focus on the arm. We stabilize it, but we go to what makes an arm support. And it's somewhere that has to be with the attachment to the spine. All roads lead back to the spine. Every injury, every ailment goes back to that super highway, the spine. Yeah. So I guess now after instructing for 20 years, how have you seen your own instruction change through working with clients? How have you kind of transformed in the past few years? I think for me, because I came into this also from an injury or a disability that led me into um, this kind of work as well. So I see that each client, again, being different, each person um, certainly has evolved me. I wasn't teaching this way when I came to Santa Barbara. I, so the idea of learning and teaching ape assessments and teaching people how to break down the spine into more accepting in easy, approachable manner, those things I, I was not doing in the past. So I've evolved. I've become, let's say, more simple. <laughs> and um, what the way I was taught in the different schools of learning was simply, you know, you're to go out and work with the healthy public only. Well, there's no such thing, including starting with myself. So I think I've just gotten better at listening to each person and then giving it back to them. They've been the teachers, actually. So I always see each client or each person who asks anything of me, I'm always saying to them in the beginning, I'm grateful because you're allowing me to have the opportunity to let you teach me <laughs> how to give it back to you. So um, I'm always humbled by it. I know I'm not telling or teaching anybody anything. I'm merely, we're like on a little journey together. We come into things and we both discuss or they do with me. And I think they really do the teaching, to be honest, because I created all these concepts based on people. And I always tell people, your idea is as good as mine. Once they're in alignment and we make sure that they are safe, you can create whatever you want to create to heal yourselves, pretty much. Yeah, like community research, doing it and working with other people to come to a conclusion. Yeah. That's wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a beautiful way. Thank you for saying it that way. I haven't thought of it that way. There you yeah, go. <laughs> no, of course. I mean, that's wonderful. It's always about like listening, which is great. And that and listening to, you know, each other and also your own body. So that's great. But at the beginning of this year, you know, people are probably thinking, how can I get started on wellness? How can I kind of start this year off on a good foot? What advice would you give to listeners who are trying to start their, their new path on fitness and exercise and wellness? I have, I'll use what I know for myself and then everyone again can pick what's best, I think. But I think being quiet and still, sometimes we're super anxious that there's somewhere to get to and there's something to be done. And I think that one of the most important simple things for me, I, I 
check myself each morning when I wake up is I check to see how I feel in my head. I check to see how I feel in my heart and I check to feel how I feel in my gut. Those are the three areas of the human body that I think are most important to determine how I'm going to lead my day. I like to look at everything as functional fitness. Fitness isn't, again, for me, an end result of doing an activity to get to a certain goal. Yes, it can be, but I think overall, it's just tell people to calm down. Just again, look at the mind for a moment, look at your heart, see how you feel, check your gut. If any of those things feel uneasy, that's where your fitness should start, you know? So let's say, for instance, you feel more of the discomfort in the head. I'm going to get up and then sit and probably quietly meditate and ask questions about what is this and why am I having this conflict? If my heart is feeling anger or jealousy, then you want to go to those places that day and make that heart opening activities and find out ways you can soften your heart. If it's in your gut and you're feeling kind of tight or something's restrictive and you're anxious, you know, you want to look around again and see how I've been eating, you know, and if I'm having anxiety, when I think about, oh, I'm getting to go to my job and my gut starts to hurt, you might want to consider I may need to do something different. So to me, mind, body health is really first looking at head, heart and gut, and then go from there and you can decide where you want to be in that because you're going to need all three of those elements. And again, all of those three elements of your head, your ribs that hold your heart, your pelvis being your gut, those are the only three things that are attached to the spine. So your spine, immediately, the nervous system is responding to what your head thinks, what your heart, and what is your gut feeling. So that's my simple philosophy for me. <laughs> well, that's, yes, very simple. But at, at the core of it, it's it's all just about thinking about what's connected to what inside your body. And then also like looking at ex- external stressors, working on that myself too. So I definitely will take, take your advice with me in this new year. And I'm sure listeners will as well. So thank you so much, Rita, for coming on the show. And I, I really enjoyed talking with you. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? I just am so grateful. Um, again, I didn't know how I was going to start the year either. And I was contemplating even how I was going to start my own health fitness again. So I thank you because you made me kind of get a little more grounded by asking these questions and people looking to me because I, I'm insulated in this world and I'm always able to go and work towards myself. But it's most important, I think, to be ultimately happy and always figure out a way to serve others. Definitely. Well, once again, Rita Madlock of Monkey Tail Intelligent Exercise. Check her out online. Go and see all of the people that we featured on this episode to begin your wellness journey this year. Thank you so much for coming on the show again, Rita. Thank you for having me, Molly. Once again, I'm Molly McEnany, host of the Indie. Tune in next week for another episode.